Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain and we are on day 2154 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we continue our extended series of messages that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week 22 of a 43-week series about the good news according to John the Apostle. John has a unique style and narrative as we walk with him through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Well, I do welcome everyone here as we continue our series on the good news of John the Apostle. Last week, we saw Jesus was our good shepherd and Jesus was our living door. And today's scripture is John chapter 11, verses 1 through 56. It's on page 1668 in your pew Bible. And as with last week, since this is an extended passage, I'll read through it as we go through the message. So follow along with me as we go through the message today. And we will see in today's passage that Jesus performs his greatest and most spectacular miracle of his entire ministry. He raised his good friend, one of his good buddies, Lazarus, from the dead. After he had been dead for four days. The miracle undoubtedly was the final catalyst that leads to his crucifixion. Death is an escapable fact of life. I've often said, when you quote, hear quotes about the leading cause of certain deaths, or this or that, well, the leading cause of death is life. Death is ruthless. It frequently comes without warning, and it strikes without mercy. Death is unrelenting. It cannot be cheated, bribed, outwitted, overcome, or eluded. Death is indiscriminate. It takes the young and the old, the rich and the poor, the sick and the healthy, the wicked and the benevolent. And death is universal. All must ultimately succumb to its darkness. Death is a harsh reality of life, but it was not always so. And it need not be something that we fear as we approach death in our older years or if we get some sickness and face death. Let's start with verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus is now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with, his, her, with her hair. So after this encounter with the religious elite in Jerusalem, Jesus took refuge to that same wilderness where John the Baptist preached because he had to escape from the murderous attempt, uh, intent of the Pharisees. But he wasn't hiding. His ministry was not over yet. The Lord ministered to John's disciples for an unknown length of time from last week when he was confronted and they tried to stone him and grab him again to kill him. He left for John's wilderness. But after this, he moved to Perea, or the, in the Galilean region, up by the Sea of Galilee. And we know that Jesus was more than a day's walk from Bethany, where our scene takes place today. That was the home of his friend Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. This Bethany, because there's more than one Bethany in the Holy Land, this Bethany was just two miles from Jerusalem, east of Jerusalem. 
Now, John's editorial note here where he says, this is the same Mary who wiped the Lord's feet with her hair. He inserted this because this actually occurred after this instance. So he was assuming that the readers knew about the other Gospels who mentioned the same situation or time where Mary wiped Jesus' feet with her hair after opening a bottle of perfume. And we'll see that lesson in a couple weeks in John chapter 12. As we move on to verses 3 through 6, So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that the God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now you might anticipate, well, you would think he would just scoot on over there, take care of the situation. But he didn't. Now Lazarus was not one of the 12 disciples, but he was one of the very closest friends of Jesus. Jesus often stayed in their house when he was traveling to Jerusalem. This man's sister sent a messenger to inform Jesus that his fr their friend was near death with a very serious illness. However, Jesus purposely delayed his departure, and he confidently declared, this sickness will not end in death. Now, depending on how far Jesus was from Bethany, very likely, when this messenger arrived, Lazarus would have been dead by then. But his disciples did not realize it. Now, Lazarus was dead, and let's assume... And look at your bulletin insert on that map of Israel. You can see in the orange circle, it says Jesus is teaching in this area. And after this, he went over the River Jordan up into the area of Galilee. And then you can see Bethany and Jerusalem were very close together. So consider the possible timeline. The first day, the messenger arrived with the news that Lazarus was ill. And Jesus decided to remain where he was for two more days, verses 1 through 5. The second day, Jesus deliberately remained where he was, continued to teach and minister. He had a purpose for being there. On the third day, Jesus departed to Judea. Now, in Eastern cultures, they count the present day as one of the elapsed days. And then that's why it always confused me on Good Friday to Sunday it was only a couple days, but they counted the day that they were speaking of and the final day, no matter how, what portion it was. So we get a little confused in our Western cultures because we don't count the next day until the dawn of the next day. And that was verses 7 through 16. And then on the fourth day, Jesus continued his journey, taking his customary route through Samaria, which was above Bethany in Jerusalem, and it was very hilly country, so it took him a long time to walk to there. And by the time he arrived, he was told that Lazarus was dead for four days. Now, if my hypothetical timeline is anywhere close to being accurate, Lazarus was dead by the time the messenger reached him. And regardless, Jesus didn't need to rush, get to Bethany. For one, Jesus can heal from afar. He didn't have to be present to heal someone. And his extent of his power was not even stopped by the death of Lazarus. Furthermore, John's remark, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Lazarus, her sister and Lazarus, assures us that the Lord did not callously wait 
to allow Martha and Mary just to suffer more, that they were grieving the loss of their brother. It was merely to prove a point. His love always undergirds, and his righteousness and sovereignty is there. Take a note of an important detail, though, that Jesus didn't promise that Lazarus wouldn't die. Now, as we do a casual reading of that, we think, well, he said he wasn't die. No, he said it would not end in death. Death might have claimed Lazarus's life, but the death would not have the final say in this matter. So we move on to verses 7 through 16. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they will see by the world's light. It is when the person walks at night that they will stumble, for they have no light. After this, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I am going there to wake him up. The disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. And by now Jerusalem had become a dangerous place for Jesus to be, because he had unvarnished truth that he proclaimed made him a lightning rod among the Pharisees. However, Jesus didn't leave the region to avoid danger. He retreated because his time of his anointing death, his atonement for us, had not yet come. When his disciples reminded Jesus of the danger, he reminded them of his mission and his purpose for his life. He didn't have a need for urgency. He knew God's timetable was exactly right. Naturally, the disciples fretted over this because they didn't want to see his, their messianic hope assassinated, especially before he had an opportunity to take his kingdom and establish it here on earth because they thought, man, this is the Messiah, the king who will rule and reign in Jerusalem and we're his buddies. We'll be there to help him out. He had an opportunity to claim his throne to inaugurate his kingdom, but his time had not come yet. But of course, the disciples' perspective was limited. Death may claim the life of Jesus, as it did in a short while after this, but death does not have the final say in this matter. Instead, Jesus will use this opportunity to expand their vision, to understand even more fully. Some have unfairly criticized Thomas in saying he had such a gloomy outlook. He merely acknowledged the truth that if Jesus went back to Jerusalem, there was a good chance that they would stone him or kill him in some manner. The religious leaders wanted little more than to see Jesus die and would do almost anything to kill him. Even so, Thomas maybe um, grimly stood by his master and said, well, if he's going to go to Jerusalem, let us go with him and we'll die. So we move on to verses 17 through 19. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been dead and had been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them at the loss of their brother. 
Now, John, John demonstrates the Lord's power over death in this narrative portion that will follow. He reminds his readers that the danger was looming just two miles from this town of Bethany. His disciples didn't want him to go. It was just across that Kidron Valley between Bethany and the city of Jerusalem. And the amount of tension that the reader feels during this time is based on our trust in Jesus' power. The disciples undoubtedly saw murder in the eyes of every Pharisee that they came across and wonder if that was the one who would reveal the plot to kill him. Meanwhile, the mourners had gathered in the home of Lazarus, keeping that Near Eastern custom that the dead man be wrapped in burial cloths, soaked with spices, and then they would wrap his body in there. It has been said there's between 75 and 100 pounds of spices that they soaked these cloths in and they wrapped them in this from head to toe in these spices. The climate did not tolerate any delay in death. When somebody died, they buried him the very same day. Jesus arrived on the fourth day. And it may have been significant because of the rabbinic teaching of the time. We read literature from the third century AD teaches that the soul remained around the dead body for three days. And then once decay set in, then supposedly the soul left. Now we know that that's not the fact, but that was the rabbinic teaching of the time. And if that's the case, the resurrection after the third day would be very unlikely. Apparently, death plus decay was even more severe than just the death alone. So we move on to verses 20 through 27. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she ran out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of that last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And I've given you on the same side of your bulletin insert this, a picture art of this verse. I am the resurrection and the life. To keep in mind the perspective of this message. Mary and Martha responded to the death of their brother the same, with the same kind of disillusionment that we often face death with. One that angers us just the same. Yet Jesus dealt tenderly with them, offering no rebuke, expressing no disappointment in the way they were acting. He listened to them. He empathized with them. He gave them a calm reassurance that everything would be okay in the end. Now his care to them is an excellent pattern for us. As we deal with people who have faced that tragic loss of a spouse or a loved one, close loved one, let us be empathetic with them. Let us reassure them and comfort them as we can. I don't see any rebuke in Martha's remarks either. I see regret from her, a sorrowful acceptance that the events turned out different than she had hoped for. I see a fledging faith in her, submerged in grief. In that moment, she failed to comprehend the full impact of the Lord's statement here. 
Jesus does not have the power, does have the power to heal someone in the present. He can do it from afar. But she said, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. But it cannot mean that she expected Christ to raise her brother up from the dead. That was outside her realm of thinking, something that she could not comprehend. Instead, this was a confession of her faith in Christ, despite her disappointment. His delay and apparent decision not to act didn't diminish her confidence in him. Now, Jesus reassured reassured Martha with a statement that has a double meaning here. Your brother will rise again. And Martha accepted that Jesus' teaching would raise him up in that last day when all the bodies that have been died before that point will rise up in the air to be with Christ forever. Now, this was the abundant life that Jesus had promised to his followers. In the New Living Translation I mentioned last week, it says that rich and satisfying life. But it doesn't have to be delayed. We don't have to wait until that last day when our bodies are reunited with our souls to enjoy that abundant life. We can enjoy that abundant life today with our hope in Jesus Christ of that future that we have sealed in him. We don't have to wait for that abundance life. That's why Christ said he's given us a rich and satisfying life. And that has nothing to do with wealth. It has everything to do with our wealth in Jesus Christ. Martha continued to express her faith in Jesus, declaring him to be the Christ, the Son of God. She demonstrated a remarkable mature theology of that understanding that she had at that point, even more so than the 12 had most of the time. Yet she did not understand the whole meaning of what the Lord said, but she certainly would before sunset of that day. So we go on to verses 28 through 34. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Then Mary heard this. She got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had, who had been with Mary in her house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He, he, asked, he, he asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. Now, Mary was not able to meet with the Lord privately in this case. And sometimes the grief-stricken, those who have lost a close loved one, need some solitude. But they fail to find it because we, as well-meaning loved ones, don't want to leave them alone. But sometimes those that are grieving deeply need that time alone. So Mary met Jesus with her entourage in tow. Her remarks reflect that of Martha's. Obviously, they had talked about it before Jesus arrived, and they both had that same disillusionment that why didn't Jesus come earlier? And Jesus witnessed their sorrows and when, of the group, and he was deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. The Greek word of this term is embryo mei, which describes a sternness or anger it's also used, the same word is used in Matthew 9 and Mark 1 and 14, and also coupled with a Greek word, terasso, which literally means to be stirred up, to agitate. 
So Jesus was agitated in his very soul when he saw how they loved Lazarus and how they were weeping and mourning. And some have suggested that the general state of unbelief among the people angered Jesus, but that was not the case because Jesus was very empathetic to Martha and to Mary. It seemed, would seem out of place if he is angry at the rest of the people. Her struggle was not so much a lack of incomplete faith, but was incomplete knowledge of what the Lord had the capability of doing. Unlike the selfish gods of mythology, the triune God of the Bible empathizes with his creation. That's us. Furthermore, he is justifiably angered at the cruelty of evil which oppresses his beloved creation. Death is the ultimate insult to God. His creative act was not supposed to die. It tries to destroy what he intended to last forever. As we move on to verses 35 through 37, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Now, upon arrival at the cave where Lazarus was buried, Jesus wept. And our English translation, as it often does, and doesn't grasp the meaning of this. It wasn't just a few tears trickling down his cheek. He shed tears with sobbing. He was stirred and agitated in his soul where he was sobbing because Lazarus had died. The observation of the people was spot on. Jesus indeed did love Lazarus. And while the Son of God is fully divine, we often forget that he is also fully human. Moreover, he's the perfect representation or imager of God the Father. God the Father who is a spirit, yet nonetheless he's emotionally connected to us, creatures as imagers of his likeness. When we weep, our creator weeps with us. Not the kind of hopelessness that we endure out of our own ignorance when someone dies and our com compassion is so deep. He has compassion for us. No one hates the devastating concept of sin or consequence of sin more than God the Father and, of course, Jesus Christ. However, some people reflected that same limited thinking that plagued Mary and Martha, the same ignorance that we are on display today as we underestimate that power of God. We move on to verses 38 through 42. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And it's sort of like the King James Version of this, where he says, he stinketh. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up to his father and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You have always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. As Jesus approached his cave, he again was moved with that anger, that stirring of his soul that caused him to weep. He commanded the men of the crowd to remove that stone, which was against all rabbinic tradition. You're not to open a gravestone once the body is there. 
They knew that if they obeyed Christ, they would be ritually unclean, but they obeyed him anyway. When Martha protested about the smell of his brother would overcome even the spices that they have wrapped him in, Jesus reminded them of his earlier conversation and promised that her belief would allow her to see what was to come, that glory of God, which he also mentioned in verse 4. And once the stone was removed, Jesus prayed aloud so that the witnesses that were there would understand that he and his father were united in this miracle. Death is not the will of the father. He hates death. Therefore, Jesus was not overriding the father's will to take Lazarus from life. He was reclaiming Lazarus as from the enemy of life. We move on to verses 43 and 44. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of cloth. The cloth was around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, this was a prediction fulfilled of an earlier prediction was in chapter 5, verse 28, that he could raise the dead. The dead man responded to Jesus's voice. And I once heard a country preacher say that if Jesus had not specifically said Lazarus, then everyone within his earshot in the grave would have come forth. One day, all the tombs will be open. On that last day, when Christ returns to earth, he'll call us all to be reunited with him. But on this day, Lazarus, and only Lazarus, was summoned. Lazarus came out of the tomb wrapped in linen cloths from head to foot. And I thought it'd take a little too much time to put on everything, but he came out. It was wrapped from head to foot in linen cloths with 75 to 100 pounds of spices anointing him. And he was wrapped tight. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes from him. He could probably hardly move to get out of the cave. Taking off the grave clothes was certainly different than what happened with Jesus. His grave clothes, from what we can tell, just fell off him. And he even took the time to fold the shroud that was on his head up into a neat square and lay it in the tomb. To witness this miracle of Lazarus, in his burial wrappings, John includes that detail that they had to help him out of his burial cloths. Rather than being resurrected, though, we have to understand that Lazarus was resuscitated. His old body was reanimated, but it was still his old body that he was in. He did not have that resurrection body at that point. The same body that had fallen ill, that had stopped working, that he had died. Sometime later, after Lazarus was summoned from the tomb, he eventually succumbed to either a disease, a fatal injury, he grew feeble with age, or he died. Finally, he was buried a second time, and his body did, then did decay, but it res, awaits that resurrection body. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, tells us that a grand day, and I'll just read a snippet there. First, the believers who have died will rise from their grave. Now, we don't fully understand what form we'll be in when we die before that last day. I could give my speculations, but that's all it is. We will be with Christ in paradise immediately. We do know that. He told the thief on the cross, 
Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, so we know we'll instantly be with him. But we won't have, at that point, our resurrected bodies yet, from what I can tell in Scripture. But think about it from Lazarus' perspective. He was taken to paradise and joined visiting with those that had gone before him. Maybe he was sitting in his apartment that, Christ had, that God had prepared before those that go there. He was kicked back, relaxing. Man, this is the life. And all of a sudden, <coughs> he opens the door. The archangel standing there and says, uh, <coughs> Lazarus, this hasn't happened before, before, but I'm sorry to tell you, but you got to go back to the grave. He said, what? I, I like it here. I don't want to go back. But he obeyed. What a bummer for Lazarus. We think uh, we want to stay here and live as long as we, we can, and we should enjoy that because we have that rich and satisfying life here. But it's nothing compared to what we will have. One day in the yet in the future, Lazarus, along with everyone else who has died in Christ up to that point, will be summoned from beyond again to resume life in their new resurrected bodies that will never die. We'll enjoy eternal life that cannot, with a body that cannot suffer, cannot fall ill, cannot die, and cannot decay. This is not the rare, mere res, resuscitation that took place with Lazarus that day. This will be a glorious day of resurrection. If you remember, Christ's body after his resurrection was not held by time and space. He could pass through solid walls. He could move instantly from one place to another. That's the resurrection body that we'll have one day where we're not confined to this time and space and the frailty of our bodies. In the last two verses in today's passage, therefore many of the Jews had come to Mary, who had come to Mary to, to visit Mary, had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. They ratted him out, saying, you know, the one you wanted to kill, he's over here raising people from the dead. But many believed. Religious leaders who visited Mary and Martha during their bereavement witnessed Jesus' power over death, and they chose to believe. But there are those who chose not to believe. John concludes the story with a reminder that the danger that Jesus faced in Jerusalem was very present right now. So what's the application of today's passage? John chapter 11, verses 1 through 46 I've titled this, A Better Time, A Better Plan, A Better Future. And I admit sometimes I become very frustrated with the Lord. My prayers requests, I think, are mostly out of pure motives. And I, I hope that they're rarely selfish. Yet, he frequently chooses to allow events to unfold in ways that I do not understand and I cannot comprehend. His timing is rarely what I would expect from God. God who loves his people. Evil people flourish financially while those righteous people die of cancer. His ways and timing challenge me and challenge my trust in him. So often I wish that I wish I find myself repeating a kind of mantra. The Lord is right in all his ways. And I understand this from a deep concept. But when I read the story of Mary and Martha and their loss, I take comfort in knowing that I'm not alone in my experiences and not being able to comprehend, fully understanding what happens here on earth at times. 
Here are two women who knew the Son of God closer than we know any close friend today. They couldn't understand why Lazarus' illness ended up in death. Why didn't Christ rush to Bethany and heal their brother? Why didn't he heal him from afar? Does he not care? Why would he allow Lazarus to suffer that illness one moment longer than what was necessary? Yet each woman, to her credit, they expressed continued devotion to the Lord. They neither lashed out in bitterness or questioned the, his goodness. Instead, they merely expressed disappointment with a bit of bewilderment in there, not understanding why this had to happen until they saw the final results. The Lord empathized with the sorrow of his friend and shared in their anger that ruthless oppression of death that we all must face. After all, death is not God's invention. It is a consequence of how we've responded to evil, to sin. Adam and Eve chose in the garden to sin. We have chosen, each one of us, to sin. And that's why we have to face death. But he responded with the latest evil. The way he responded illustrated in two truths woven into a tapestry. And I have this basket with two different colors here just to give us a picture of what he wove into the tapestry. And those two truths are found in your bulletin insert on the other side. First, events don't go as we think they should. God has a better time and way. I've learned through my years never to fret over much of anything in life. But I genuinely believe as a child of God that I am a child of the great and mighty God, that I must acknowledge that God is in control of all things. And no matter what happens, good or bad, that God is still in control. When something problematic occurs, we rarely understand the alternate consequences of that. If we did not go through that, and if God revealed what would happen if we didn't go through that, we would be glad that he took us through those difficult times. And secondly, God's perspective is eternal, not temporal. If the Lord answered every one of our prayers for healing and restoring health, we would never die. But we would be stuck in bodies that can feel and interact with pain. We would fall, it would continually fall ill and then gain our strength back. We would grow tired. We'd wear out. And this would go on forever. We'd be forced to live in this perpetual roller coaster of illness and health, injury and repair, until we finally got so tired of living that we would beg for death. And those of you who have been blessed with many years of life, you know how that is now approaching. He brought Lazarus back from the dead for the greater good of what his mission was that day. But eventually, the man joyfully traded his failing flesh and hoped for a body that will be resurrected in a new body that won't be touched by evil. We tend to view our circumstances of our 80 or 90 or 100 years of life before our bodies give up and cease to function. We view it from our existence. However, the Bible assures us that this part of our existence is nothing compared to what we'll receive after death. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, this is what the scriptures say, or scriptures mean when they say, 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't imagine what God has for us in our eternal life after this life. One day we will be reunited with our resurrected body. And I admit sometimes when I speak to myself in distress and I say the Lord is right in all his ways, sometimes his words feel empty. They do that for all of us, like mere words. But if they ground us into the place where we realize that this is just temporary, that it's eventually God will reunite us with him. And that someday in the last day, our bodies will be raised from our graves and will be resurrected bodies. His spirit speaks to my spirit in a place so deep that no words can touch. It can penetrate my mind and my soul. And the goodness of his blameless character is what is the result. That perfect plan he has for us, whether we understand it or not, is not as important as our trust in him, just like Mary and Martha. They didn't understand, but they still had their trust in Jesus Christ. And then they saw his plan temporary for that day. Eventually, their brother died again. Eventually, they died. Eventually, we will all die if the Lord doesn't return first. But the lesson for today is, first, when events don't go the way we think they should, God has a better time and a better way. And secondly, God's perspective is eternal, not temporal. We see so narrowly, a glass darkly, but then we'll see him face to face and all will be made known. We'll understand his, his teaching and why we are here on earth. We're blessed to live in a country where we have so much freedom, but what's more important is that we build the kingdom of God that we're, while we're here. God has given us unprecedented fr freedom to teach, to build his kingdom today and here in Davola and around the world. And that should be our charge today. No matter what happens to us, let us be building God's kingdom. Next Sunday, the simmering anger of the Pharisees begins to boil over. And they know that they have to end this spectacle that Jesus is putting them through. And the message will be titled, The Breaking Point. So please read John chapter 11, verses 47 through 57 in preparation for next week's message. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this time where we can learn about your lesson that you had raising Lazarus from the dead after four days, Father. What Mary and Martha much, must have gone through in their sorrow that was brought to joy when you raised, his, raised him from the dead. We realize this is just a glimpse of that time of resurrection that we're, our bodies will be reunited with our souls in perpetual, eternal blissfulness where we will see and know as we don't see and know right now that we'll comprehend your plan for us as imagers of you. Help us to be about building God's kingdom in this world today. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, 
Let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.